0: The fun. And then, of course, you know, the, the chance to come together and worship. I mean, these are not opportunities of just one more thing to add to your calendar. Hopefully you understand them as being opportunities as a, ch- as a church family to come together to be shaped by the community of God, to be shaped by, by God himself as we gather together. So whether it's a chance to clean a room uh, at the church or gather for worship uh, on a Saturday night all of these are opportunities for God to transform us and to shape us and mold us as we become more and more like him. I know that uh, when, we, when we gather for worship, it really is a space where, where God not only reveals himself to us in our worship of him, but also uh, he, he cares for the depth of our soul. He, he meets us in those places that are broken and mends them up as he reveals more of who he is and as he invites us into a deeper and deeper relationship of trust. So hopefully you can join us for either one of those opportunities. We'd love to see you. It'll be a great time. This summer, we've been looking at this idea of becoming servant leaders through the lenses or through the eyes of the life of Jesus Christ. Last week, we, we learned that a servant leader is one who follows Jesus, whatever the cost, oftentimes the cost being pretty painful, that, that, that Jesus invites us to cer- certainly share in his glory, but not before we share also in his suffering. And so that is part and parcel with this idea of, of following Jesus. Uh, oftentimes, to truly follow Jesus, to live like he lived and, and, and to become like him, we have a cost to pay, a pretty serious cost. Cost that at times makes us wonder if, it re- if we really made the right choice by choosing to follow Jesus, to put our trust in him. Uh, oftentimes, choices that, that make us feel like maybe the rest of the world looks at us and thinks maybe we're a little bit insane. Uh, a poet once said that, that those who danced were thought to be quite insane to those who couldn't hear the music. And the reality is we live in a world where, uh, where, where we kind of look like those people who are dancing, but you can't hear the music, right? There's, there's a sense that, that the truth and the reality of Jesus Christ is folly, is foolishness to a world who doesn't yet know him. And unless the work of the Holy Spirit does something in their hearts to, to, to pull back the, the, the veil that's over their heart, to see who Jesus is, then whenever they look at those who are choosing to follow Jesus, they kind of look like a, a person who's dancing nice and crazy out there with no music to be heard. As Christians, we're called to be different than the world around us. When, when the word of God says you are to be holy as I am holy, it's calling us to live in the manner that God desires that is different from the world around us. Take sin, for example. Christians are thought to be foolish because they allow God to communicate the, the difference between right and wrong, sin and right, or righteousness and, and unrighteousness through his own word. We trust that when God's word says something is, is true, is good, and when something is bad, is, is, is sinful, we believe that to be true. But yet the world we live in, it, 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 it defines the source of right and wrong is really our own experience. What feels right, what, what seems good to us. And so for those yes. who, who believe that the word of God is right and true, they look like a person who's dancing with no music to be heard. Well, how about suffering? Our world views suffering as something that we, that we have to get rid of, that we have to treat to make go away. We like to avoid suffering. And, and you know, I don't think as followers of Christ that we're exempt from that. None of us enjoy suffering. But the reality is that our perspective on suffering is that, that God can, can bear something beautiful, out of suffering. And though suffering, though it may be difficult and painful and not enjoyable, we have hope in suffering that good can come from it. Whereas the world wants to treat it, and make it go away, and finds no good in suffering. See, at times, to follow Jesus, we can be uh, finding ourselves on a path that feels kind of lonely. We might even find ourselves in the danger of looking around ourselves and, and feeling lonely on this path and looking around seeing all these other people walking down a different path. It leaves us wondering if we've made the right decision. We start to look uh, at the world around us and, and we, we become somewhat like this cartoon from the Far Side where you have this, two, this couple and they're off the beaten path and the, the wife is looking at the husband saying, I don't know if this is such a wise thing to do, George, to go off the beaten path, right? We, we realize that we're not necessarily on the path that everyone has chosen, everyone else has chosen to walk down. But you know, we're not told to follow the crowds, to walk the path that everyone else is walking We're invited to follow Jesus. And what we find, what the scriptures teach us, is that when we follow Jesus, he leads us to life. The psalmist puts it like this in Psalm 16 It says, Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, which is hell, or you will not let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you hear that description of life? It's not just that our hearts are beating and that we're breathing in and out. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. This is the life that God leads us to, even though at times it may feel like we're on a lonely path or that the suffering is intense and uncomfortable. The promises of Scripture is that the life that Jesus leads us to when we follow Him is, is a life in the presence of the fullness of God's joy, and at the right hand at His right hand, where pleasures are forevermore. So the invitation, let's get off the beaten path. Let's do this together. Let's get off the beaten path where there's, there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Who's with me?? Right? Who, who's coming good? Yeah, that's good. Let's see some hands. There we go. Well, if, if we're in on this, if we're going all in, if we're going to get off the beaten path together, then, then the next logical question is, how do we do that, right? How, how, do we, how do we get off? It's not just looking at the crowd around us and choosing the opposite thing, because that's not the wisest way to get off the beaten path. It's to find where that beaten path is. So maybe it's not how, but, but where. Maybe that's the best question, not how do we get off the beaten path, but where do we get off the beaten path? Jesus offers us answers to this question in our passage this morning, which, by the way, when Angel kind of introduced our time of worship, I thought, well, great, all I have to do is stand up and pray, and we can go home. He did a great job. I mean, it's, our time of worship really does shape and prepare our hearts to enter into God's Word. And we can, we can certainly open God's Word without, without spending time reflecting on these songs, singing them, praying them. But, man, they do such a wonderful job preparing our hearts to worship him in his Word. And so in our passage, John chapter 15, I want to encourage us to turn to Jesus' words and to understand this invitation of how we might get off the beaten path, and not just some random beaten path, but the path of life that Jesus is calling us into. So feel free to turn in your pew Bibles to to page 901. We're going to read John chapter 15. I'm going to read the first five verses for us from that chapter. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Let me pray and give thanks for God's word this morning. Father, we are grateful that you have spoken. That as the author of Hebrews says, you have revealed yourself to us in these last days through the life of Jesus. And so even now, we read these words of his, and, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would, would make it that if, that is if he were speaking them to us right now in our presence. And, Lord, that these words would transform us. They would meet us in the deepest places of our lives, challenge us, encourage us, correct us, rebuke us. Lord, may your word do that work. May it not be me or oh, only your word, Lord. So, Lord, we ask your Holy Spirit to move among us now as we spend time in your word. May we be a people who glorify you, not just with our words, but with our lives, the very center of our being. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, uh, it's important for us to understand that as we read these, these words of Jesus in the Gospel of John, that really all of John is, is written through the lenses of this idea of believing. That when, when John wrote his Gospel, his, his perspective on the life of Jesus Put an emphasis on this idea of what it means to believe in Jesus. In fact, in the gospel, over 98 times he uses the Greek word pisteo, which means to believe. And so as we as we read through John, we, we understand that 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 he's kind of unpacking this understanding, his understanding of what it means to believe. His understanding of what it means to believe in Jesus is one that is progressive. It explains why at the beginning of his gospel, he could say that the disciple believed in Jesus and followed him. And even at the end of, toward the end of the gospel, when the disciple is running to the tomb, the tomb that's empty, he could say he believed in Jesus, that he had risen from the grave. There is a growth or a maturity to his understanding of what it means to believe in Jesus. This idea of growing in a belief, a belief that matures and strengthens and is ever more dependent on Jesus is the very backbone of the picture of this idea of a vine and branches that Jesus uses to illustrate his lesson this morning. Like the vital relationship between a vine and its branches, Jesus is showing us the vital relationship between the Father and the Son and the Son and the people that have put their faith in him. And though the word relationship is not used in this passage, I mean, that's what it is, really. You think about it. The vine has this mutual relationship with a branch. The, the vine brings life to the branch and anticipates, expects the, van, the branch to grow and bear fruit. The branch depends on the vine for very, the, the source of its life, the, the energy, the food, the, the nutrients it needs. There is a, a, a mutual relationship that's that's in, in there, or or like at the very core of the uh, of the relationship between the vine and its branches. Just as there is a mutuality in the relationship between Jesus and His followers. Take a look at verse one again with me in our passage. Jesus says, "I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser." See, Jesus sometimes uses illustrations to hopefully help explain what he's saying a little bit better. Here he uses the illustration of of growing and cultivating vines, which was uh, quite a common um, profession in those days. It wasn't very uncommon, so the, the reality of what he's saying would, would have been more transparent to his original listeners, but we have to do a little bit more work to dig in to understand what Jesus is saying. Certainly there are people that still grow grapevines and other things in our world, so, so it's not completely foreign to us, but we do need to pay a little bit closer attention to see if we can glean from what is being said what Jesus desires us to know. Not only was it a common vocation in those days, but Israel itself was kind of seen as the vine, God's vine. In fact, they had as their emblem this vine, and it's kind of like the emblem that we have of a bald eagle for the United States. It's something that they kind of easily understood themselves to be, that they are God's vine. Listen to the words of Psalm 80, and as we do... I would encourage us to to hear these words through the through the understanding that when Israel was spoken of in the Old Testament as being a vine, it was always, interestingly enough, in the context of being a vine that had failed, a vine that that had been disobedient to obey God, and as a result, it was a vine in disrepair. It was a vine that was in need of help. The psalmist says in, in Psalm 80, Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven And see, have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. The original listeners to Jesus' words in John 15 would have understood that when he talks about a vine, he's talking about the relationship that Israel has with God. He's talking about there's a relationship between the people of God, whom God is responsible for planting and nurturing and growing, and there's this relationship where Israel, time and time again, has been disobedient. The psalmist cries out for help from the Lord. And yet God is not done yet. See, God promised to, to bless the world through through Abraham. You remember back in Genesis the story of Abraham that God had made a promise to, to bless him, to give him many children, many descendants, and, and through them to, to bless the world, that he would be a blessing. And so God's plan, as it unfolded, was through his people, his vine. So Abraham's descendants would become the the foundation of the nation of Israel. Abraham would have Isaac and Jacob, and then Jacob would would bear the 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. And and over time, the the tribes of Israel would be enslaved in Egypt. And and we hear the psalmist talk about that, that history of Israel, where they're led out of captivity in Egypt, the vine out of Egypt. And yet Israel, time and time again, proves itself to be a vine in disrepair. A disobedient vine that turns its back on God. Yet God is not done. He has made a promise to bless. And so God's promise would be fulfilled through his people, but specifically through the life of Jesus, the true vine of genuine stock. See, Jesus, when he says, I am the true vine, he's saying, I'm the real genuine stock. I'm the real vine. You won't find life from just being a member of the nation of Israel. The vitality of the relationship to the true vine, Jesus, is life because he is the source of life. See, it's in cultivating grapevines that we understand how important it is to start with the right stock. When I was uh, in high school, I worked in an apple orchard that was next to our neighborhood, and I, I kind of learned the value of this right stock. By the way, the stock of a plant is kind of like the, the, the original plant that you grow something from. So if you were to, to purchase a plant from Home Depot or whatever, you're, you're purchasing stock that you hope to, to grow into a, a fruitful uh, uh, plant for growing tomatoes or whatever it would be. And when I was uh, working at the apple orchard, I worked in the store for a while, but they would also send me out into the field. And One of the things we did in the spring was plant new apple trees so that, uh, that we would be able to grow a, a, a harvest of apples in, in the future years. It would start off as a, a, an apple tree stock and then grow into a, a much larger tree. But what would happen if the orchard was ac- accidentally sent uh, peach tree stock or, or cherry tree stock? It, what, what started off being planted in the ground Uh, maybe um, thinking that it's an apple tree, but you you find out much later that, man, that wasn't an apple tree at all. Partially maybe because the fruit you grow doesn't match what you thought it would be. Or also maybe because as you tend to care for an apple tree, you realize uh, cherry trees don't grow in the same way that apple trees do. And so the fruit that grows isn't looking so healthy or good. You need to make sure that the source of your plant, the stock that you start with, is right and true to what you want. Because no branch or fruit can be better than the stock it starts with. So you're growing. We all are growing. I'm growing. But what are we growing from? What is the the source of life, the the source of our growth? What are we connected to seeking life and strength and purpose from? Where is your, your will rooted in? What are, or who do you trust in for your life, as the source of your life? See, Jesus says here in our passage that, that he is the true vine. He is the right stock for life in God. This is why earlier in the gospel, when, when John opens up his gospel, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he says uh, that, that in him was life, and that life was the light of men. He's saying in Jesus was life. From the very beginning, Jesus was the one who held life. And that's the vine that we we find ourselves being challenged to to be connected to. See, Jesus alone is the true heavenly source of life. It's not who who my family members were. It's not who the the heritage or history of my, my family tree might have. In my family, those who have life are those who are rooted in Jesus Christ. This is the the vital relationship for every servant leader. If, If we want to have fruitful lives as servant leaders, if we want to go out and impact the world around us, how necessary it is that we would be vitally connected to the vine, which is Jesus Christ. We start with the right stock. We've got to make sure that the source of our life is Jesus Christ himself, but in order to grow and mature and bear fruit, we need the hand of a master farmer to help us grow. See, as the the master farmer, it's the father's job to to care for us, to nurture us, to, to feed us, to strengthen us, to prune us, to see that the fruit is actually growing forth from its branches. Listen to Jesus' words in verses two through three. He says, Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Uh, As as I mentioned earlier, I, I worked at an apple orchard growing up, and each winter, I remember them going out into the orchard to prune the trees. To, to look at the trees and, and, and to look at the branches and consider which branches are dead and which ones need to be cut back so that the tree could be more fruitful. Now, they didn't want me pruning trees, um, partially because they didn't want me using sharp tools, but, but also, because, also because they knew that what was needed, what was most necessary, was, was the eye of the Master, what was the, the, the well-trained eye of a farmer who could look at the tree, who could look at the branches and, and see which branches needed to go, which, which branches needed to be trimmed back so that, that life and energy could go into these branches and fruit could grow forth from the trees. We needed a trained eye. Had they left it up to me come springtime, they would have had a tree trunk just, just left in the middle of, of the field, no branches coming off of it. Partially because when I work on, like, trimming something, I, I, you, you get this side, then you go to even it out on this side, then you think, oh, I've got to go back to this side and even it out. Before long, you're left with nothing. See, Jesus tells us that the Father does two things with the branches. He cuts away those branches that are not bearing fruit, and he trims other branches to bear more fruit. It's not just that they're fruitful. Jesus, uh, the, the Father, desires that, that their branches would, would grow and grow and become more fruitful and more fruitful. It's not good enough that they have one good apple that they grow every year. He desires for us to grow more and more fruit. Now, if Jesus is the vine and we are the branches, it appears at first glance if, as if Jesus were saying that, that some of us who are connected to the vine could be cut off and thrown away. In other words, it almost seems like, if we're reading this passage this way, that, that, that those who are saved could be cut from the vine and lose their salvation. I don't think that that's consistent with God's word. I don't think that's what God's saying here in this passage. I, I think if we were to look at other passages like in John 10, where Jesus says that none of those who the Father has given me and placed in my hand could be snatched out of my hand. I don't think Jesus is saying here that we could lose our salvation and I realize it's, it's an illustration, it's an image that Jesus used to teach us, and so it, it only can go so far, but, but I think what Jesus is actually saying here is that, that the branches that aren't bearing fruit are not truly those who are in the vine, because they're already dead. Dead branches don't bear fruit. Judas Iscariot is a good example of this. In the narrative of Scripture, Judas was, was the disciple who carried the money bag for, for the group. And, and so there were uh, numerous times where, where he would be concerned about how we're handling the money. In, in the grand scheme of things, he was the one who betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He, he was the one who, who was more concerned about connecting himself to the value of money than to Jesus Christ himself. I think his story echoes what James says in his letter, that faith without works is dead. If there's no fruit to follow our faith, is there really a true faith? Do we really believe that what Jesus said is true, and so we follow him in obedience? Dallas Willard once said that, that the idea that you can trust Jesus but not then obey him is an illusion. If you don't intend to obey him, then you don't really trust him. Sadly, these branches that are cut away from the vine are are dead. They're not truly in the vine to begin with. But the father also prunes back other branches. This idea of of cutting away dead branches, it it, it uses one word where it's actually this idea of cutting and removing, of taking away. Pruning is one uh, more of cleaning up. With pruning, it carries this meaning of cleaning up something. Kind of like I know a number of you would have wished I had done with my beard a long time ago. <laughs> it was cleaning up the growth of this tree for optimal growth. That's, when I would trim my beard, it was really so I could have an optimal grown beard. But the idea of this tree, when, we, when a farmer prunes a tree, it's not because he says, oh, that tree doesn't look right he prunes a tree with the intention to let that tree grow more fruit, more abundant, beautiful, and healthy fruit. And just as the farmer cleans up a tree through pruning back its branches, so the father prunes his children's lives to bring about optimal growth. See, when they pruned the the apple trees in the orchard, they were literally cleaning them up. I think about it, though, for a moment. The more and bigger the branches are that are growing on a tree, the more effort the tree will have to put forth to grow fruit. The more uh, um, surface area that that, that that water has to travel, the nutrients have to come from, the more area that, that the sun has to, to cover in the life of the tree, the less energy the tree puts into a, the fewer branches growing fruit, and the more energy the tree puts into growing more leaves and more wood. And so a farmer has to be intentional about that, and, and so... By pruning back the branches that that grew fruit, they were making sure that more energy went into fewer branches that grew more fruit. It wasn't about having a bigger, more abundant tree. It was about more fruit. See The vine, its purpose is to grow fruit. And the farmer is intended on doing that. On making sure that, that it not only has all the things it needs to grow, but also that it's being most fruitful with its branches. The farmer is masterful with his or her job. What may appear cruel and overzealous with the pruning tools to our eyes is actually quite compassionate and loving in the hands of the master farmer. Sometimes a tree has gone through extensive pruning and it may appear a cruel thing. But but barrenness in the spring gives way to fruitfulness in the fall when the harvest time comes. When our lives go through pruning, it may appear cruel and unusual punishment. It may not make sense to us. But but don't judge the master in the springtime. Wait for the harvest to come. Wait to see the fruitfulness of his hand in your life until you have given it time to let him grow the fruit that he desires to grow in your life. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, these words, he says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, when the Father trims the branches of his vine, he has a purpose. When he allows us to go through the painful process of trials, of being cut back and trimmed, He knows what he's doing. He's inviting us to to trust his work as being a work of love and compassion, not not of of meaningless suffering and pain and difficulty. He's bearing fruit in our lives beyond our own awareness. He's not allowing us to to be put through a trial and, and that this pain and suffering is something for us to avoid or to squelch. He's inviting us to embrace that place of difficulty and of pain knowing that he can bear great fruit in our lives. And even if you can't see the outcome, can I encourage you, believe that he desires your life to overflow with fruit. Not not that you would do more for Jesus, but that you would allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life, to trim back those parts of your lives that need to be trimmed back, that you have no clue need to be trimmed, that he might bear more fruit in our lives. Not that you would bear more fruit, but that he would bear more fruit in our lives. See, Jesus is the true source of life, and His Father, and, and the Father lovingly, graciously, and compassionately works in us to grow, but only in relationship to Jesus, in that vital relationship we have of being connected to the vine. When Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life, he's not just referring to the doorway, although in places in Scripture talk about him being the, the gate, the, the, the passageway, he, he's referring to being uh, the whole entire pathway. Here in our passage, I think when, when, when he invites us to put our trust in him, to abide in the vine, he's not talking about making a decision uh, when you were a young adult but to put your trust in Jesus. He's talking about a daily intentional relationship to walk with Jesus, to abide in him, to depend on him. Our desire and our intention to abide in him is vital to continually growing in him and bearing fruit as servants. Take a look at John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5 through me. Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Before we had fruit, more fruit. Now he, he bears much fruit. And as angel pointed out, for apart from me, you can do nothing. We can do nothing apart from Jesus. Sure, I could tie my shoes. I, I can, I, I can uh, play with the kids. I can do things. I can't do anything of eternal value, of true fruit, apart from Jesus. See, we're not responsible for the outcome of the fruit in our lives. We are responsible for the health and the vitality of our relationship with Jesus. To bear fruit and to continue in fruitfulness, the branch needs to remain connected to the vine. If you were to cut off a branch, the leaves might last for a little while, but it's not going to grow anymore, and it certainly won't grow fruit. This is a lesson that my daughter Eliza taught me recently. We've been growing pumpkins and, uh, and watermelons in our garden beside the house this year, and, and I thought, hey, a teaching lesson, I'll take the kids out to the garden, we'll weed together for a little bit. And um, so I showed them, you know, what are weeds and what the plants are, and, and uh, you know, so I'm, I'm there weeding with them, and and when she, I, I turn at one moment to see my daughter, who was busy weeding, she was very proud, standing with a watermelon plant in her hand, having just weeded one of the plants that took us forever to grow. <laughs> but I was able to, to take that from her, and quickly, it still had some roots on it, and I quickly dug some the ground up and planted it back in, and we watered it, and cared for it, and nurtured it, and, and you know that plant has come back to life. But then, a couple weeks later, I was weeding in the garden again, and I accidentally broke off another uh, watermelon plant. <laughs> now, that plant that I broke off, I couldn't just put back in the dirt. It, it broke off at the, at the branch, at the vine. And so I tried to put it back in, but it has not grown. It has not come back to life. In fact, it's withered up <laughs> quite a bit. Um, and we'll probably be tossed out the next time we go in to weed the garden. See, in order for a plant to grow, it needs to, be, it needs to remain, it needs to abide in the source of life that it it draws life from. The word that John uses for abide occurs 10 times in these first 10 verses of John chapter 15. To abide in something was was to remain in something, to, to remain and maintain an unbroken connection with something. Here, Jesus is talking about a relational connection to Jesus, to himself, to the source of life. It's a relational connection that's not just we make a choice to trust Jesus and then we can let it go and let him do the rest. There is a mutuality of relationship where we intend toward him, where we maintain, we do our part to maintain that relationship, to care for it, to pour forth effort out of love to it. And so when we think of what it means to abide, we oftentimes will look at it and think, well, maybe it means that we can rest, that we can abide by taking refuge in something. But I think what it means is is much different. By definition, to abide in Jesus requires that we work at our relationship with Him. That we see it as something that we cling to, that we we long for, we desire for. We see it as being an important part of our daily lives. Consider the life of Thomas Cochrane, for example. Uh, it, it's a it's a story of a firefighter in California. He had uh, come off of a season. He was like a seasonal firefighter for. Uh, out there, which I, I, don't, I wonder if it's because of the terrain and, and different wildfires they have, but he had come off his season um, as the, the firefighter, and he was at home with his parents, and this was when the wildfires out in California were getting pretty bad back in December. You may remember the wildfires that were, uh, that were, that were raging, and, and uh, the fire was getting closer and closer to his parents' house, and yet he decided to remain to abide with his parents' home. When others were evacuated, he stayed with the house. He remained with it. Now, he didn't just go inside the house and make a bag of popcorn, sit down and watch TV while the fire raged around him. He didn't relax. He didn't rest. What he did, though, was he stayed awake through the night, fighting back the flames as they came closer and closer to his parents' house. Uh, The town had, I guess, shut off the water, and so he was using whatever remaining liquids and tools he had to, to protect his home, to, to remain with it, to abide in his home as the fire raged around it. The next morning, he woke up and, uh, or was kind of, as the sun came up, could look around his neighborhood. And all, there was only, I think, four of many, many homes that had not gotten burned down. And, and his remain, or his, his parents' home did not get burned down because he was willing to remain with the house. He was willing to, to work at protecting the house and making sure that it, it stood up to the fire. This is how it is with servant leaders, by the way. We remain in Jesus by actively taking part in our relationship with him. We maintain that connection to the source of life, which is essential for growing and serving and bearing fruit. As servant leaders, we, we abide in Jesus, the true vine. We, we work at strengthening our relationship with Jesus we, we work at strengthening and, and finding our, our, our encouragement from him, the source of our life, the true power behind the fruit in our lives. See, as, as servant leaders, we don't try harder to show others how fruitful we are, how big of a tree we are, how, how healthy of a vine we are. We abide more deeply in Jesus and let him bear that fruit in our lives. See, Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. So this morning, as we consider this idea of abiding in Jesus, I want to challenge us with three things. I, I want to challenge us to apply that greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength, with, with three things. I'm not asking you to do one more thing. I'm, I'm encouraging us to, to let our perspective shift, to not being doing more, but abiding in him and letting him bear more fruit in our lives. How about we love him with our mind? Paul says in Romans 12 too, to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. To let God's word transform your mind. You know what? I would, couldn't encourage you enough to, to find a Bible reading plan where you're in God's word every day. I have a, a Bible reading plan I use from time to time on my phone. It's called uh, the Bible app. It's put out by Version. You can you can download it to your smartphone, whether it's an iPhone or any other. And, and it provides daily devotions, Bible reading plans, many options. I, I couldn't tell you which one to start with because there are many places that you could begin to read in your life based on where God is growing you. But I, I can tell you this is a great resource to use. But if you find yourself reading God's word day in and day out, you are training yourself up to abide in the vine, to abide in God's word, to find it as the true source of your life. Love the Lord your God with your mind. How about this? Why don't we love him with our soul, with our heart? Oftentimes we live our lives at such a pace that we, live, we, we leave very little room for reflection at the end of the day, I'm just as guilty of this. I leave very little room for reflection at the end of my day when when I might slow down and start to think back over my day. But can I encourage you to, to, to build time into your day when you can reflect on what God is doing in your life, what Jesus is saying to you, how he's challenging you, encouraging you to grow, to take note of how he is helping you grow and mature along the way as you abide in him. That is is one way we can love him when we give him our attention through reflecting on the things that he's doing in our lives. It's it's not nothing. It's actually actively loving him by paying attention to him. So we can love him with our mind. We can love him with our heart or our soul. And we can love him with our strength. And this is not the last uh, 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 in terms of least important. We can commit to, to praying for our relationship with Jesus. This is something we can all do. Many of us, We know how to come before God and to ask him for something. But instead of asking him for something, let's start to learn to pray to ask for more of him in our lives. That that, that we would pray for more of Jesus at work and and present in our lives. See, this morning it's important that we know that the true source of life as servant leaders, the place where we see the greatest fruit growing in our lives, is when we cling to him, when we abide to the true vine. As servant leaders, we abide in Jesus, and we let him bear fruit in and through our lives. Let's do that together. Let's, Let's get off the beaten path and seek him as the source of our life and our strength and the fruit which comes forth from us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that that when you invite us to believe in you, there is an invitation to to daily abide in you, to remain in you, to not sit back and relax, but to, to see the fruit grow forth as we care for our relationship with you and see it grow as we put our trust in you more and more. Lord, help us to love you more as we abide in you. I pray, Lord, that we would be a people who find our health and our strength in you, that we trust the hand of, the, of our Heavenly Father to masterfully prune us and make us more and more fruitful. Help us not trust in our own strength, our own wisdom, our own abilities, but to only trust in you as we abide in you today. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.